In the early days of Pearl Jam, getting your hands on a bootleg wasn't as easy as it is today. Anytime you want to bring a tape recorder to one of our shows, you're more than welcome to. There were no MP3s, no torrents, and no massive catalog of official shows released by the band. Maybe then you won't have to pay $30 or anything like that. You can have your own tape. I'm Patrick Bogle. And I'm Brian Horowitz. And these are stories about becoming fans in the 90s. It's hard to imagine. We sought every rarity and B-side we could get our hands on. Taste, we've got taste. Never would have known that you This is Hallucinogenic Recipe. I never got to taste anything. Welcome, everybody, to Hallucinogenic Recipe. Uh, this is going to be our, our first regular episode. Um, we're going to be talking about Zurich, Switzerland, 1992. Uh, this is a special series on Live on Four Legs. And this is Patrick Bogle. And I've got Brian Horowitz with me. Welcome, Brian. Hello, hello. Um, so just just to get off running with, with Zurich, let's let's talk about something that is a plague on the bootleg CD industry <laughs> song titles, which they, which they never got right, especially, you know, and it makes sense, right? I mean, we're talking about collecting bootlegs here and Pearl Jam, especially back in the early to mid nineties was a band that tried out new material on the road before that album came out. You think about all those songs from Vitalogy that were played on the versus tour, or even, you know, songs like leash that were played on the 10 tour um, from verses. So, it makes sense how these these you know sketchy characters, I'll call them, that were creating these, these bootlegs for for people to buy. Uh, they didn't know what to call these things. Now, you know, it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to just misspell a song that was on ten. You know, there's no forgiving that. But I can understand, you know, a song like Whipping that was out for a while before Vitalogy. Do we call it Don't Need? Do we call it Whipping? What is he saying there? Um, but it certainly was comical, especially looking back now. Going, you know, like. Uh, I, I, I have some of my CD bootlegs here, and I'm looking at, like, uh, another example is, is uh, from the St. Petersburg 94 show when they played, um, I don't know if you, I have the speech memorized. Before they go into um, Last Exit, Eddie gives a, a speech about, uh, we've been thinking about it, we're going to play a new song. If you don't like it, sorry, you can buy the new David Lee Roth record, we don't give a fuck. Um, and, then, and then on the bootleg, it's called Three Days, because that's what yeah. they repeat the most, the most often. Um, yeah. So I, I sort of get it, but they're definitely comical. Yeah, there's a few of those. There's a few of those out there, you know, and this one particularly, there's there's two songs that um, across the variations of the bootlegs that were out there that just get completely butchered. Um, and those would be Footsteps and yep. Leash. Um, yeah, Drop the Leaves. Drop the Leaves and Footsteps is, um, depending on which version you have, is either labeled Pictures of My Heart or you you right <laughs> now there would be a song obviously you later on so that could get very confusing but uh pictures of my heart i always found um fascinating <laughs> because that's just like a a bold misinterpretation of the lyrics i think in terms of what they were picking up there but um right. a, a classic a, a classic element of the the old bootleg world and uh and how things could just be um completely bizarre and sometimes exciting because you talked about that three days reference and we'll th this will be a our last anecdote for that one is before we jump in but i remember a couple of times seeing bootlegs with three days on it and being like oh did they cover jane's addiction 
oh, would be the greatest yeah. thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which they would ultimately do years later, but not for three days, but for yeah, not three days. But so with with Zurich, you know, this this is a you know a, an all time classic for a variety of reasons, um, and yeah, I think you know the the first thing that that comes to mind is like when do you when do you first remember hearing the uh, a copy of this show because i i crystal clear can remember my first experience of when uh when i first heard this show yeah so i bought it um at a little cd store in burlington vermont back in uh, uh either it was probably probably fall of 94 right when i started at uvm pure pop records i, I mentioned it on the sort of first episode of this and I bought it because uh, I was a little jealous of a friend of mine. We had gone down to Pure Pop Records a couple days earlier, and he had found, you know, it was my first time going to the store, my first time actually being in a store that had this variety of bootlegs, not just a couple, but, like, they had a lot of them. And I didn't have the money at the time, but my buddy, who probably didn't have the money either, purchased uh, covering them. It was one of those early bootlegs that had a bunch of really good stuff on it, and and. I was jealous for like a couple of weeks. I was like, damn it. And, and I, I listened to it. I think I burned it on tape. Uh, and I was like, I got to go get my own from down there. You know, at, at that point, I think, like I said in the earlier episode, I had one or two CDs from, from various places, but I kind of got the itch at that point. And so I went back down there. I, I don't know, some, sometime late 94. And, and I saw, I have it in front of me right now. So, so my, my bootleg that had the Zurich show was called Rem Jam. And, uh, I remember getting it, and to your point, I, I can crystal clear remember going back, and it was one of those, God, I hope this sounds good, um, first off. And uh, and then I just let it play, right? And, and the way the, the mind is sequenced, I think, you know, we sort of alluded to it. it it's only in, in the last, what, 15, 20 or so years. I forget exactly when the, when the full version of it came out that was available for folks. But for years, no one had the, the full show. But I didn't know that. Right. I, I knew that I had this bootleg here and I just thought maybe it's just kind of a short set. So I think mine starts with oceans and then goes black once black alive once uh, footsteps. So I remember just hearing that sequence of oceans and black to start. And I, and I don't think those two songs in the show get enough credit compared to what else happens in the show. Um, but it's just it's a really good bootleg. Eddie's voice is just phenomenal. And, and I was definitely that was one of those right off the bat. I was just, Oh man, was that a good purchase? And I just fell in love with the show. And, and it's still, you know, if someone says, what's your desert Island five shows that you would have with you, there's no, like, there's no question. This is one of them. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I remember I was saying like, I can remember crystal clear exactly where I was. Um, it was May of 1993. I'm going to say it's probably like, I think it was probably like May 30th even. Um, nice. so it was, uh, I was at my good friend, uh, Vin's house. He, uh, grew up in Babylon and he and I went to college together and he, uh, so we were home for summer and he said, you gotta come out. I've got this tape. I went here and I'm like, sure. And so it was a Friday night after work. I, um, hopped on the LIR out to Babylon cause I lived in the, um, the South shore area in, in Nassau County and Rockville center. So it was an easy train ride. And uh, met him and a couple other people. And, um, you know, as 20-somethings would do at those times, um, we ended up um, uh, participating in some what is now not illicit, but at the time was <laughs> illicit um, garden variety um, herb. 
and uh you know we were 20 so and uh behind his garage so you know that's how you know that's how classy it was because you had to hide um and he breaks out this tape and he plays it and he he didn't even bother to start it from the beginning of the show he went right to um the 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 mini opera so um you know so my first exposure to that like you know i'd heard footsteps obviously so um was was listening to the the three songs together was at this time so i'm hearing this and hearing the explanation and the the breakdown of it and i was just like what is going on like what are you <laughs> what are you talking about so you know that i was just completely enthralled with and i almost didn't even have the time to process the other amazing things um, that were on the show because that was the the big thing and I, I it's amazing to think about in, in retrospect you know so obviously the show was June 1892 yep. it was well over a year before you know I would hear it for the first time nowadays you wouldn't even you know blink an eye your your live streaming shows as they're happening for right. the most part um, but you know th- for a lot of people I think this was their their first exposure to hearing like the songs together and what they were about I think people knew bits and pieces you know some people that you know maybe were really really deep in knew of the you know the original tape that Ed had put together but th- this for most people was like the exposure of the the three song sequence and what it was about and um and it just uh it just was like one of those moments in life that you know I don't ever um forget and and immediately when I was back at college that fall and you know, we had a tape because he he made me a copy of the the um the whole bootleg he had gotten which he had actually gotten from his sister um and um then you know after basically wearing that thin over the next three months got back to um, school in the fall and then purchased um the what was the magic mushrooms label um (laughs) version of this show called five alive yep Um, i remember that one sounds great and it also it has the most hysterical cover art to it that I think whoever was doing costume designs for the Star Wars prequel um, came up with what the Naboo Queen should look like based on this cover. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know it, it it there's so many different variations of this bootleg CD. Now you had mentioned the the version you have was is what title again? Rem Jam. It's R E M J A M. Rem Jam. Yep. Yeah. yep. I remember that one. Then there's like uh, the the version I had. Then there's uh, another popular one was um, "Keep on Rocking in a Free World," <laughs> <laughs> which also had um, some really bizarre um, uh, tracking to it because it's just all over the place. It's it's kind of starts. Um, I think it was probably taped off of a, a vinyl bootleg that I have and then put on to CD because it's backwards, um, like the vinyl bootleg that I have. Side B or side A is basically the last you know, seven songs of the bootleg, and side um, B is the first um, six songs, the way that breaks down. That's um, weird. And then there's uh, the other, you know, probably more... Um, I think uh, well known of them was live performance, which was on the Swinging Pig label, which was actually a fairly big bootleg label. If you could, 
if you could say that with a straight face, but they were a a larger um, and and more predominant label that actually morphed from a sort of mid to late 80s um, and probably even earlier than uh, mid 80s um, vinyl bootleg label that ultimately became a, a CD bootleg label. I'm yep. looking at mine right now trying to figure out because you're naming all these labels that I haven't heard in years. Um, this one, so the CD says made in Italy by CD company SRL, but I'm looking at the bottom of the insert and it says there's a picture of a it's kind of blurry, It's a, unless it's my eyes, so I need glasses now. There's a picture of like a pig biting something that says the last bootleg records. And I don't know what that means, but there's no, you know, usually on the spine or something, it'll say like to your point, some some kind of random company. And this just says LBR001. <laughs> and of course, it's made in Italy. And of course, that's why some of the names are probably all messed up on the songs, too. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, of versions that that came out from Italy too. There was another one on Teddy Bear Records, um, and that was, uh, gosh, what the heck is the name of that one? Mesmerize. Um, I remember which, that? Yep. Um, you know, another one. All of these, you know, were incomplete. They were all based off of the the radio broadcast that was done, um, which was uh, thirteen, thirteen of the eighteen tracks depending on how you cut them down because there was a couple of improvs that were done and then there was one that was just titled uh pearl that was on the living legend records label uh which also is just a direct ripoff of uh, of the um version i have and i can say that because if you look at it the the titles are exactly the same pictures of my heart um get <laughs> out of it, uh, it had to be made in Italy. To be called Pictures of My Heart, it's got to be an Italy thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, was I think that's it. it the, to me, the, then the other two big things that that with this one from the versions is that there's two um, two vinyl takes. There's one that I have, which is a picture disc, um, which is uh, it, it's okay. It's nice to have it on vinyl, but then there's a the swinging pig version, which is, I think, probably fair to say I'm not someone that has like that that sort of holy grail thing that I have to have. Like you know, people have that poster that they want or that collector's piece that they don't have in their collection, whether it's a vault or whatnot. That's mine. Is the 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 uh the the vinyl pressing of the swinging pig version of this if i could find that that would be what i would be after life um, is good <laughs> yeah it's it's just it, it's a you know like a marble cover colored um splatter vinyl you oh, know cool. so early 90s uh, already doing um something you know out of the ordinary so who knows maybe there's somebody out there that has it um eventually that i can come across but uh definitely one that i would seek out um yeah, if, if so, anyone's listening to this, my holy grail is a Hartford 96 poster and uh, Christmas is right around the corner. I'm just saying. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, um, you know, that's a good one. That's, those yeah, are good ones. It those is. I, I remember seeing it at the merch stand. Uh, I ended up getting a, a tour shirt, which is uh, retired at this point. I haven't worn it in probably 20 years because I wore it every day for God knows how long. Um, but I remember seeing the poster and just I didn't have the poster bug yet. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with the poster? It was probably like 10 bucks, right? 15 bucks or something like that. Uh, I remember seeing it on the stand and just uh, kicking myself for not getting it. But you know what would have happened? I would have gotten it and probably like at that point, like dry mounted it or put it up on the wall with 
you know, thumbtacks or whatever, and it would have, you know, depreciated in value anyway. But I, I would love to get my hands on that. I digress. This is this is Zurich ninety two. Um, I was going to say, you know, going back to some of the sort of some of the tracks on here, and I think to your point of like honing in on the trilogy there, it took me. I mean, this was one of the first full shows. That, well, uh, we just said it wasn't a full show, but this is one of like the the first kind of real bootlegs that I had of a show, and I didn't have a ton to compare it to. I had Atlanta, I had a couple others that I had um, I, I had on on disc at that point, but this was one of the early ones, and so I didn't I didn't realize until some of those until I started getting a lot more bootlegs in the mail, a lot more CDs, and then some of those um, set list sites started going up there. I didn't realize how rare it was for them to do that trilogy. Yeah. Um, and with the story, I just thought like, this is probably a commonplace thing. He's got his little, his little act, his little whatever. And it took me a, a, a probably a couple of years before I really like took a, a hard look at it and went, that's actually like a special thing. Like that's not a commonplace thing. And I know that now because I have, you know, 60 shows on tape and I don't hear it anywhere else. Yeah. It's um, only a few that like, Seattle, right. 90, there was a Seattle show in 93 that had it right. Yeah. The, the vault that came out, but like yep. even just around this one, there's like two or three other nights where they yep. did it. Um, but it, it's kind of like they did it and then boom, that was it. They were done. Yep. Um, other than a couple of like inverse versions where they played it backwards and, and whatnot. But, uh, this, you know, the 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 thing that's always striking about this um, recording is the, you know, the FM broadcast of this was so crystal clear and it's got great dynamics to it for an yeah. FM recording. Um, the vocals right, sound, flat. yeah, the vocals sound bright. The, so it's a lot to do, you know, obviously with the with the room as well, you know, and it's like one of those things where, you know, to me, like the that one of the other things that I pick up you know beyond the music is you know with this one is like what was that room like what is the Volkhaus you know amphitheater or you know theater like you know like get wanting to know what it was in that room yeah. you know and there's versions of things that have come out over the years where you you hear a, a, a audio bootleg and then um as it turns out video has emerged that they end up you know splicing that together and you're looking back at things that you listened to years ago this is one of those few that Unfortunately, there is no um, video, but gosh, that would be fantastic after all the, these years to be able to like splice those images together because this creates so many like images in your mind's eye in terms of like the performance and the. Well, I was going to uh, say, isn't it like, isn't it a little like when you watch a movie of one of your favorite books, right? It's sort of like, be careful what you wish for. Yep. You, you have it in your head. I can, I can picture this entire concert. I can picture him telling the crowd the crowd listening. I can picture like, you know, what the band was doing during the porch jam. You can hear at one point during porch and we'll get to porch, I suppose in a little bit. Cause I could talk about that version ad nauseum. Anyone who knows me, um, you, you can hear clearly where the crowd surfing hat, where he jumps off and does the stage dive um, and crowd surf. You can hear the, the, the cheer from the crowd. I have to assume that's a stage dive. Yeah. Um, like I, I love having it in my head and I suppose that's one of those, it's almost like when uh, a couple of those uh, Atlanta 94 videos came out a few months ago, like Sonic Reducer. And I think there was another song that came out. You're almost like, do I want to see this? Like it, I mean, it's just legendary in your head. I can, I can just picture it how I want the room to look, how I think the room looks. And, and do I want that ruined? Um, yeah. You know, a, a, a bad movie can do that to a book where you're like, and now it's ruined. I don't have that magical world in my head anymore. It, de it definitely changes things. And there, there's a show that I think, you know, uh, 
down the road that we'll talk about that that there's the you know a famous audio bootleg and uh, or at least I would definitely consider it famous and then it's the video emerged from it and I didn't know that probably until gosh probably five or six years ago I I finally saw it and I was like this is so strange to be watching this show that I've listened to so many times that I had yeah. a different vision of entirely you know to some extent of what was going on but so you you talked about um porch before we go and jump into that because i think that's like <laughs> sort of an, an an epic um um element to to cover in this show for sure is there's you know from the from the bootleg versions um there's the three separate um improvisations that they they do in this and one that's you know sort of almost less of an improvisation and more like a just uh, a, a melody of of songs and ideas. Um, what do you think about those those elements? Like you know, for 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 a live um, music aficionado like you are, like the, the do those strike you as like things of interest or or passing? I think they tell the story of the show. I think it helps sort of you know, it's like the glue that holds the show together. I think you know, you, you listen to a lot of those kind of uh, Europe 92 shows in particular, and they were doing that a lot. Uh, and I love the fact that the Zurich show has three of them. Um, you know, the, the one on, on my bootleg called Meaningless, which they, which they segment out into its own song. And then I think they tag on one of them at the end of Black, right? And I think I'm looking right now at the track list. Um, one of them before Garden, right? So yep. I think um, I, I love the, uh, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a fidgeter. I'm always tapping whatever there's. I think it's the one before Garden where uh, Dave does this little drum roll right before Garden kicks in. And I swear, like, that's one of my, I don't even think about it, little drum patterns that I do with my fingers all the time on my desk when I'm just kind of bored or, or working through something. It's just, again, it's just one of those little moments that gets stuck in my head. Um, no, but I, I love them. I love those those improvs. I love the fact that all three of them exist at one show. I, I think, like, those were special. Um, and I think these days, you know, you're lucky to be at a show where there's one improv and they don't do them nearly as much anymore. This has three and it, and yeah. they're, and they're, they're interesting. They're not, I don't find them to be filler. They're just a band having fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one that, you know, typically gets titled, um, meaningless, um, or, <laughs> or on this meaning this, the one that I have, <laughs> which is kind of, kind of funny in and of itself, but, um, it, it, it kind of like gives you a, a, a good sort of ear to something that that like i think at the time and especially the the 93 time frame you know when and 94 when you know we're both first listening to these shows it's sort of that wry sort of wit that ed has where he's always yeah. considered so sullen and angry and all of the you know ridiculous things that i think at times were thrust upon him he has such a good wit about him and that yeah. that that medley of 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 improv lyrics as well as you know the um the cover through uh gosh totally forgetting the uh the pretender song that they um brass and pocket they, yeah brass and pocket that they you know uh, dive into there and then a little bit of uh james taylor as well as he jumps yeah. around it's just it's so good and so real and so fun um so it's definitely one of those the the things and i totally agree that's it's like the glue uh to this show 
um, in terms of like the the overall experience. And there, you know, as we're talking about some of these early shows too, I think you just hit the nail on the head, right? I think Ed was always, I, I love shows where he's very talkative, right? You think of like Melbourne 95, um, that St. Petersburg 94 show. I love the ones where he's telling stories. He He's sort of poking fun at the crowd, but there's something to be said for those improvs and some of the stuff that he says on those like early, the 91 and 92 shows. Cause I think the, the Eddie that emerged in 93, when all of a sudden they found themselves the biggest band in the world. And, and clearly like they started kind of recoiling from that. He was a different guy. Right. I think I think a lot of the stuff that he if you listen to some of those speeches that he had, like that St. Petersburg show, it's almost antagonistic to the crowd a little bit. He's almost kind of messing with people. Um, and, and it's it's some of it's lashing out. Some of it's it's lighthearted, but there's a little bit of a jab kind of thing behind it. But I don't think you get that in 91, 92. I think it's um, the band wanted to as a band lash out as a band. They wanted to just destroy you. And you got it's like that, like that old uh the interview after what was it uh pink pop where the guy's like you guys look like five wild bulls running on stage uh, yeah. and they're like yeah we were reading a lot of Hemingway at the time like joking around but that's what they wanted to do and I think like that was a moment in time that went away very quickly yeah like, that's gone by ninety three the sort of light hearted messing with the crowd thing um and it, and it changed um but that's why I can appreciate these earlier improvs and things it's it's just the band figuring out. And, and and this being like a prime part in their in their career by June '92, things were happening at fast. Yeah. Um, but they still had that that spirit. They weren't jaded yet. They weren't they weren't recoiling in horror at how big things had gotten yet. It was coming soon. Yeah, absolutely. So so let's talk about the um, the elephant in the room uh, <laughs> because I, I you you've written and it's uh, it's on your your 10 um uh coverage that was put up for um the 30th anniversary of uh best versions and um i absolutely agree with you um that this is this is the best version of porch and it is a hill worth dying on yeah (laughs) let's talk about it and why (laughs) there's so much i could say about this one so a couple things right so you just you just uh, mentioned the fact that when I when the the live and four legs guys asked me to do the write up on what I thought were the sort of definitive versions of songs from ten, some of them were difficult. Some of them I was weighing versions against other ones. Some of them were tough because you know the song itself doesn't veer a whole lot. So what do you, where where do you go with that? Um, and then when I did the verses, right, the same thing. Like how do you write what the best version of dissident or glorified G something that doesn't change a whole lot? Um, porch. I there are versions that I love of this song many versions the first one i fell in love with was unplugged aside from the studio version but the studio version i liked as part of the album but it was when i saw them go somewhere with it on mtv unplugged that i was like oh to me that that version of porch unplugged was when i went from being like okay this new band is really cool to holy shit i'm all in like I uh, when he when he you know gets up on the chair writes pro choice Jeff is standing there with his bass and he's hitting Dave's cymbal with it with his bass and the band is just and then as they all come together for the crescendo at the end when Eddie's standing there and the look on his face as he's leading into that final chorus I just I'm literally right now getting chills talking about it I'm not kidding um, that so that song has has very early on since I recorded MTV Unplugged off the TV when they first aired it and I still have that VHS tape yes I do. Um, that song has meant something to me, and I I get wrapped up in that song when when it when they go places with it. So 
I'm always on the lookout for good versions and, and I can, I can rattle off a bunch. I, um, obviously Atlanta 94, St. Petersburg 94, um, Melbourne 95. I love, um, there's a bunch of 92 versions. Obviously Pink Pop is a gem. I think Pink Pop gets the edge sometimes because of the video and the, you know, the camera dive, the version Great. itself. I think if you listen to it, it's not as cohesive as some of the other ones from that era. Agreed. Um, I, I think I think that's one of the things that I I definitely find is that um, that there's a gravitation towards some of the the early stuff of where there is video. Yeah. But uh, but I think that this this one has the uh, uh, another level of special to it, and it's similar to that Atlanta '94 that would happen a couple of years later. But this is like to me, it's like the first perfect frenetic version of porch if that makes it, any sense <laughs> it does it's the one I, I i've done it several times where i've gone back and listened to every version of that song i can find from before 618 listening to the evolution of it right going back to some of the ones in in you know early to mid 91 where um the song doesn't do much, right? It's it's like the the album. It's like, and some of the early ones are before the, it was even on the album. They were still working on it. Um, so, you know, you, you we were talking about the um, the Hollywood um, show, and it's a good one for Eddie's voice. You know, October uh, ninety one. It's a good one for Eddie's voice, but the band, you know, you can tell Mike is just sort of in the pocket doing his thing as it is on the album. The album had only come out a month and a half previous. Yep. Um, and that continues for the most part, for the next month or two, you get a little hint of them going places in December. You listen to like, um, is it the new year's Eve show? There's a couple from that, from kind of December where, Oh, they've extended it by a minute or two. There work. there's a little lick here. They're working on. You can tell stone is doing that little thing here. And then Mike comes in and maybe does like a little, um, voodoo child riff or something like that. Like they're, they're starting to go places with it. And then to me, the fascinating run is if you listen to the more, theater show so so january 1792 that one is extended now it's it's a little rough it's a little not cohesive but the elements of what porch was becoming are there they start hitting on these little riffs um they start hitting on these little themes here and this continues throughout february throughout march you see it on unplugged um you know that whole like like they were really figuring out how to go in and out of that at that time. Uh, Toronto, not, Toronto in April has the same sort of thing. And then, and then June hits. Right. And so June has like, like that UK show pink pop, like, you know, you look at like, like June 6th, June 8th, that, that run of shows, all the pieces are there. But to me, each one of those is great. And I love it. Some of them are better than others. Some of them are a little rough um, where the band just kind of gets lost in the jam a couple of times where Mike isn't, you know, they're not all together. And then there's there something about that Zurich version where every segment of that jam, first off, it sounds great. Eddie's voice is spot on, which which is a key part to me of Porch when he can nail that ending and just yeah. like he doesn't do that lead in anymore that he used to. But that's just powerful. But the jam, it, it's almost I've said it before. It's almost Allman Brothers esque in the way that they're able to sort of play off each other. Stone and Mike and Stone gets very playful. But each of those little themes, you can hear it. You go back and you're like, oh, that they did that at the Moore Theater. They did that at the UK show. They did that here, there. It all just comes together. And to, to use your word, like it's just this fluid jam. 
that works perfectly. It's just yeah. perfect. One, two, three, four. What the fuck is this world? Run into you again. Leave a message at least I could have learned your voice one last time. Daily my feeling is good. Be my time by your woman. Would you hit me? Would you? Would you hit me?
Yeah, it's it it really just it it's gripping and it's one of those things where you can listen to the eight minutes of it and always find um some element to go back to and yeah. like hyper focus on and be like, Oh, I forgot about how that happened, how that progression happened. I forgot about what Jeff was doing there underneath the you know, Mike's guitar lick. Um and and one of the things that um that definitely stands out in this version as well as um, Dave Aberzee's drumming is just, you know, is just driving it at yeah. like a, at, at that great pace for those early versions of the song. And it's just, it's so phenomenal. Um, and, and clearly, you know, an overall um, highlight um, on this show for sure. Um, I think there's, there's one other aspect of this show that, um, that sometimes gets overlooked because, you know, you've got a, a, a killer version of Porch. You've obviously got the Mama-san trilogy being played at this with the whole explanation element and the theatrics of it. Um, but the the closer on this, Rocket in the Free World. The slow burn <laughs> opener, Rocket in the Free World. Yeah. It, and it might be, it still might be one of my favorite versions of them playing this song because it yeah. just has so much punch and energy and just like it you just can feel that like you said that slow burn build and then it just turns into this like the only thing that i can compare it to that i i think is uh on equal footing is um when they played it with neil a year later at the mtv um video awards in terms of it just being as like sort of um show stopping and and yeah. uh and just like making you just stop in your tracks and and take notice um and it's just it's just such a killer killer ending to a um to an all-time great show i agree there's some good you know free worlds over the years for sure i i always have a soft spot for um melbourne 95 when dave Grohl came out because i just he's pounding the living daylights out of the drum kit on that version and yep. mike is kind of following suit he's like oh okay game on and and he's ripping it for for a long time. That was my favorite version. This is this is up there in my top couple for sure. I just I love to your point. Like it's a different it's a different thing than it is now. Like when they play it now and they play it a lot, um, it's a it's a jam fest. And it's great. It's it's I love. I know some people are sort of burnt out on it. It's like oh, it's always going to be rocking and then yell at better. I don't care. It's still great, right? Um, and they jam on it. and They have a good time doing it. And, you know, sometimes Stone solos a little bit more, less, whatever. But this was one of those they stuck to the script playing that song, and it wasn't. It wasn't a cliche thing or it wasn't something that they did every time. Um, you know, they played it a little bit here and there back then. But the version, I just, I love that, um, that, that, that slow burn intro of that just like, how do they come up with that? Like, let's, let's not, let's not do the Neil way where he's, you know, just playing these kind of chords with a little bit of reverb and echo and distortion. And it's like the band comes in. What if we, what if we started the entire first verse just like, like just just holding ourselves back like eddie do that do it so you know you can hear it as he's singing and and as the song is kicking in and then he goes like yeah and then the band finally kicks in it's just explosive it's just awesome yeah absolutely absolutely so you know another big element about this um the show in and of itself obviously is that for years it was incomplete you know with the the bootlegs that existed um, covered about, you know, give or take, depending on which version you have and how they break out the improvs from the songs is usually going to be breaking out to about 12 or 13 tracks. Right. Um, and then s- 
sometime around um so you know it was obviously known um long before because of the great work that was done by you know websites uh, and fanzines but websites like five horizons where they were gathering set list information that there were um there were four songs that were cut from the show um even flow why go jeremy and state of love and trust and then uh it was about early january of 2005 that um a pre-fm soundboard copy of this um was then mixed with a couple of versions of the um bootleg cds to create a master compilation dat of the entire show um and that was actually um if you if you look at the old uh um notes that would be put together in the days of um of BitTorrent and um and probably honestly before flack became something as we talk about um lots of monikers um so free lossless audio codec and yep. um and the other shortened. being before that shortened yep. which was where the, those began um so um you'd see some initials that exist on there one would be um cps and that would be carl sylvester who is uh um big into uh taping and probably one of the you know um the 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 primary reasons that a lot of people had tapes <laughs> or at least certainly a, a major cog in the machine um in the early days um he did a lot of great work with getting um dat tapes and taping some shows himself and um and then also just sourcing that with other tape traders to get them out there so he had um come across um somehow or another the pre-fm soundboard and uh, Bill Graham, who did, a, and that's not the Bill Graham from the Grateful Dead. This was a uh, Bill Graham <laughs> that did a lot of um, uh, taping and, and editing and um, seeding of tapes for um, Pearl Jam trading communities. He put the, together the original master of this whole thing. And as I said, it was a uh, sometime in early 2005 that he compiled that. I had actually thought it was earlier than that, but then opened the notes on this and and saw that. So it wasn't until um the you know the early mid aughts that you know people were really getting their hands on the the complete um performance as it turns out it's interesting it's good to have i think probably of those songs that were cut the one that maybe stands out among them is state of love and trust i think yeah. the other the other three are you know certainly fine but nothing that was like oh i've, I've got to hear that again so uh, kudos to whoever was the uh, the station producer at the FM station in Switzerland that um, was recording and then broadcasting this because they decided to stick with um, an interesting selection of show uh, of songs to put out over the FM radio, um, and I think they made a good choice because they could have easily cut out anything from the improvs to an encore or God forbid they could have cut porch. And that I was, was going to say, God forbid, you get two more songs in here. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, um, did, did you, did in the, at the time that this was coming out in full length, you know, were you doing um, tape trading still, or were you doing download? Did you remember when this came out as the, the full length show? Yeah, I didn't get it. Um, to your point, I don't. I don't remember seeing it that early on. At some point, it again because I knew I had an incomplete copy. I came across it. Uh, I, I don't. I don't even remember where I found it from. I didn't get it in a CD trade. I downloaded it somewhere. Um, it would have been a little too early for me to be doing 
was like doing bit. I, it might have been a BitTorrent thing at that point, right? Because that was when I was working at a company. Yeah, I bet that's yeah. where I got it from. Was a BitTorrent download. Torrents were torrents were starting as early as uh, as early as two thousand three. Yeah, that's when um, that's when I really got um, hooked on to to those, and um, it was the reason that I bought a a bigger capacity computer with a, a larger drive and ports so that I could uh, I could make sure that I was getting access to everything so I got um, kind of my wrist slapped at a company I used to work for years ago nothing major or anything but uh, I didn't I didn't know the the nuances of, of how this all worked. so I downloaded the BitTorrent client on my machine at work because uh, we had like a it was like a fractional t3 line of work just amazing download speed for back then in the you know 2003 2004 2005. I remember leaving BitTorrent open when I went home because I wanted to download the um, the two Boston the pre Vote for Change shows that um, from that from the 2004 tour and uh, I had an email from the tech support guy the next day and he didn't even know what it was he's like did you install something called like BitTorrent on your machine he's like do you know that like you were using up resources all night because it looks like people are also uploading from you and I was I didn't I had no idea how it worked I was like oh, oh, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, so it had to be. I bet that's where I got it from, um, and I've I've sort of kept those MP3s over the years. Nice. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely the 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 game changer um, in the the tape trading world was uh, the the shift from uh, from from tapes and CDRs yeah. and uh, trading trees to BitTorrent. But that's a that's a topic into of itself. Um, anything else that you want to uh, touch on with the uh, with the Zurich boots? No, I just I was going to point out um, I have like I said my copy in front of the the Rem Jam bootleg and a few things that I noticed on here. They so to your point, you know, that there's that kind of heart at the beginning of the show that they miss. So they go from oceans right into black alive once what they call you, but footsteps deep drop the leaves, meaningless porch garden rock in the free world, and then there's three songs on here that they put on as filler. And I don't think to this day I know exactly what shows they come they come from. They have Wash, they labeled it Wash My Love, and then Even Flow, and then Jeremy. And I don't think either Even Flow or Jeremy are from the show. I'd have to go back, you know, and nope. now compare they're, right now that the full one's out and go, wait, is that They're from the Palladium in uh in October sixth, ninety one. Those are Oh, the, look at you. I, well, that's nice. they're on they're on my the, those are the three bonus tracks on the version that I have too. And it's just uh, oh. So yeah. it's got to be the same source. You know what? Yeah. I don't think I ever listened to them and, and and put that two and two together in my head. Like, oh, that's from the Palladium show. Interesting. Um, and the other thing I notice on here is they li- they they have the band listed and they have um, drums. Dave Cruzen. Yeah, there's tons of those. There's tons of those early bootlegs where he's listed as the drummer. Um, and you know, I, honestly, it's like there's a couple of them where it's like you, a clear picture of of Aberzies and it says Dave Cruson. So there's <laughs> there's there's a great many uh there's a great many errors in the uh in the bootleg universe for sure. Uh, but it was made in Italy. What did they know? Yep, I think mine was made in. Belgium. I can't remember. It doesn't. It's not terribly clear on this one. I'd have to use a. I'd have to use an a language translator to get the <laughs> the outer outer rim of the CD because it doesn't say anything about Italy. I'm pretty sure, actually, yeah. This this one came from Belgium, so or Luxembourg, actually. So I'll tell you what. I know what I'm going to listen to tomorrow, or all my meetings start. 
<laughs> it's a good choice. It's always a good choice. The last thing I'll leave about this is the the ultimate um, early stage dad joke before long before we were dad, certainly long before I was a dad, um, was the, the craziness where people used to have this thing. And it was um, sort of a weird thing among tape traders or people that collected where when a clock was 618, you'd sort of look at one another and be like, 618, Zurich. Yeah. And that was, that was uh, my introduction to terrible, cheesy dad jokes within Pearl Jam. And then Ed would take that over years later because he's the master of it now. Oh, he's he's all about the dad jokes lately, which is, you know, it's funny. And, and we can certainly have a whole episode about this, but it's like, you know, me, me being kind of you know, young and angry at the world and rebelling, whatever we want to call it in the early nineties, kind of followed suit with them kind of doing the same thing. And I think as, as we've all gotten older and had families and kids of our own and houses and jobs, and whatever, um, it's funny to see them evolve because they're only human too. Right. So when, when, when Eddie tells like a, a, a horribly awful, but funny dad joke at a concert, I can't help but laugh. And I'm like, I know there's people around me groaning right now, but I'm like, yeah, I'm with you, buddy. Like I, I tell some pretty mean dad jokes myself these days. <laughs> He's he's a master at it. He's yeah. I I would actually go see him do some terrible stand up just for the the pure entertainment of it. <laughs> I would pay top dollar to get front row to that. <laughs> but, but first, I would like to see the him somehow pull out a reenactment of this version of Porch, and then we can uh, then we can get to the to the dad jokes. I, I want to see the stage dive. I want to see the the intensity. That 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 would be my uh, my first wish is. Some some capture of of Port Zurich, nineteen ninety two. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap on this one, and um, you know we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We got a n- couple of different topics that we're kicking around. Um, if you have any questions and or ideas out there in the listening world, um, if you are interested in potentially, um, you know, talking about um, a particular bootleg or want to throw out a topic idea and, uh, and join us, we would totally be interested in that. So you can shoot us um, an email. I'll, I'll drop my email out there for anyone. It's um, p bogle b-o-e-g-e-l at gmail.com um you could also reach out to the guys on live at four legs um and uh you can you know probably catch anyone on the um pearl jam podcast facebook group um and other assorted places but um we would love to hear back uh any feedback any ideas any you know any stuff that people think is um of interest but we've got some things in the hopper but we're we're definitely open to to hearing from some folks so yeah sounds good i agree with all that i think uh you know any feedback is welcome any any questions you know for for some of the newer folks or newer fans which i think is great that this band is still attracting fans i love it i love talking to new at shows and people who've seen two shows and they started seeing them last year it's great well they couldn't see them last year three years ago um but yeah, if you have any any questions about this, or if you you know for folks who were there like we were back in the day, if you want to give us ideas for topics or like volunteer to come join us and have a discussion, what what are some of your stories? I I love talking, but I love listening as well. I love hearing what other people have to say, and all of our experiences were different. Um, it's just fun to to reminisce. I mean, you know, we're we're talking thirty years ago now. This all started, and and uh, I, I I still get a thrill talking about it. Absolutely. All right. 
with that, we'll give it a wrap, and we will be back in a couple weeks to talk about, well, we'll keep it a secret for now. (laughs) Ooh, nice teaser. (laughs) Still in search of that elusive recipe for Pearl Jam.